believe it. Does anyone even know what this is at this point? This is season seven. Lols. Of the Needle and the Mouse. As a reminder, the podcast that covers the intersection of technology and fashion, or as we like to say, the technology of fashion and the fashion of technology, which is more profound than I thought it was when I thought it up. Maybe you thought it up. No, you definitely thought that one up. I'll give you that one. Our logo, for those who... Oh, the dog still barks during the podcast. Some things never change. Our logo, for those of you who were not alive during the 1990s, is the old Apple Mouse and my bad line art for sewing needles. This is not a paraphernalia show. You know, there could be someone who, who listens to this who was not alive during the 1990s. That's crazy. Because that person could be 16 Ugh. or 17. I mean, I That'd doubt that there are no there are any 16 or 17-year-olds listening to this, but it's possible. That would be awesome. It's pretty crazy. If you're in high school, that's awesome. Does that mean we... Don't do your homework and have a great time. <laughs> Is that bad advice? I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, it's been over a year since we last did this show, uh, and I would say there are three reasons for that. Number one is laziness. <laughs> Not on my part. Number I would, two, I'm the opposite of lazy in every way. Lauren is going to get uh, garage band lessons so that she can do the control board, and then we'll never go a year between shows ever again. Okay. And then number two, we've been busy. Actually, I have a new, do I have a new job? No, I don't. No. Neither of us do. But our but jobs are both quite busy. Job. Yeah, we're very busy. We also have this little barking dog who may or may not have eaten a poisonous flower petal. I think he's all right. He seems fine. <laughs> we'll find out during the show. And number three, we've been, tra- we've been traveling a lot. Um, yeah, quite Both for quite work and fun. Hashtag the road to Platinum Plus. Or what's it called? Platinum Pro. Platinum Pro. Yeah, I think I'm going to get there this year. Lauren is it's a big chance. There's a very big chance. Lauren is currently beating me in elite qualifying dollars, but I'm winning in elite qualifying miles. I don't think I'm going to get to... Um, oh, I already won in elite qualifying dollars. I think I even won Platinum Pro in that. Oh, wow. I'm not sure. All right, we'll find but out. But I don't think I'm going to get Executive Platinum. Well, how we'll many? See. How many times would I need to fly to Asia? I have a spreadsheet for this, and I'll do the calculations soon. You would probably need to fly to Asia twice. This is the main... What about if I flew once on business class? Then that might work. This is the main reason we haven't done this show, because all we think about is getting points. (laughs) No, I mean, realistically, though, how many Sundays have I even been here this year? Like four or five. Yeah. Um, But it's been a lot of fun. We've been to some really interesting places. We've been to some really boring places. I've been to San Francisco about 15 times uh, since we last spoke, not even exaggerating um, and not even bragging. How do you feel about it at this point that uh, you've spent a good amount of time there? Well, I'm glad I don't live there. Uh, I, I love visiting. I always have loved visiting. I think it's really a treat to leave New York for four days, five days, and experience a uh, delightful climate. I actually love the fact that it's cold ass nights every month of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. In fact, I was very happy to be there on this Wednesday and not sweating 
It was pretty awesome, but it's very sunny and uh, warmish during the day. A mm-hmm. lot of times, a lot of times it's raining and, and miserable too. But it's been really great. Uh, I love that there are you know a good ten restaurants that I go to there every couple months that don't have in New York or anywhere else. Um, it's been really cool to go to a place like Tartine Manufactory yeah. several times or um, there's a pho place that I go to every other visit or so that's not even that good, but I like it. Um, okay. Really great Korean place that I go to sometimes. So Then the classics like Burma Superstar. Burma Superstar. Of course, our new, one of our new favorites, Al's Place. Oh, Al's Place was so good. That was so good, yeah. We should go there again the we, next we'll time I to. come with you. Uh, what else? Um in San Francisco? Yeah. A couple other spots. I, you know what I really like is that area in the mission where Tartine Manufactory and then I go to a yoga place over there. There's a bunch of different startups are based over there and and a few retail companies. This hmm. um, teen brand or, well, it's young women's brand called Charlotte Roos. Hmm. It used to have a nickname called Charlotte Hooch, but nice. I think it, it has um, grown out of that. They're based right around the corner from um, Tartine Manufactory. And then also Everlane's over there. I really like that area of the mission. And if I could stay in that neighborhood, I'd be happy. Yeah, it's um, in true San Francisco form. You walk one block in the wrong direction. You're in a tent camp. Yeah. Um, but there's a, actually that, that specific uh, retail kind of, it's almost like a half block. Mm-hmm. Uh, is really really interesting. There's, it's. I think it started with the Heath Ceramics. Yeah, the Heath, thing, right? Heath Ceramics is there, which is you know kind of a showroom, but also a store. You can buy a bunch of stuff there, and, and they they make stuff there too. They have a factory. Yeah, and that's like there's cool views into like the factory element of it as well. And then uh, there was a blue bottle there, but it's it gone. It was, but it's gone. Yeah, there's Tartine Manufactory, which is... Uh, Tartine is a bakery in San Francisco that always has a line out the door. Um, back before I could not... Back before I had to stop eating gluten, I used to... Every time I go to SF, I would line up there and get like four or 5,000 calorie items. Um, yeah, it's so good. So good. And this is more of a full-service restaurant. There's a lot of bake... bake there's a... A strong bakery program, as is, is mm-hmm. an annoying person might say, um, but also real food. You can go get scrambled eggs there, and uh, and now they do dinner, and there's a bar, and it's just a really beautiful, bright dining room. And yeah, it's really nice. I go it's there nice and work, you there. know, every couple of months, and I always run into someone I know. Um, yeah, it's cool. And then apparently the ice cream is amazing. Have not had that yet. Neither have I. We should go there for lunch sometime the next time we're both in town or we should go there for dinner and have the ice cream because apparently it's really good All right, i just like that. being over there in the mission you, the castro buy right the yeah. grocery store i mean but we have love you seen going the other stuff in stores. that in that um in that building you mean the little heath newsstand yeah there's like a there's a new newsstand which i love yeah where they even have like japanese they have popeye it's there cool. i think they had popeye or they had brutus yeah. Casa and some other stuff. Yeah. And and there's also a gallery that I wanted to go to where they were having another Japanese I've been art to the thing, gallery. But last time it was closed. So. I think one of the things that we both really like to do when we're traveling, whether it's for vacation or for um, 
work several times is kind of find the neighborhood in a city where we would want to live mm-hmm. and get really get to know it. Yeah. And I think since we, I mean, we've been, I've been going to San Francisco on and off since the mid 2000s. My mom lived out there for a while and I quickly um, got, inter- I, I was quickly interested in the mission and that area f- because of food but also just because I, I thought, oh, if I moved here and we didn't live in Oakland, we'd live in the Mission. And um, the other thing about San Francisco in particular is it's pretty hard to get around. The I find the public transportation, if you're, go- if you're going to a place from one place to another that there's a straight shot of public transportation, it's great. But if you're kind of going to a neighborhood that isn't on the same train line or yeah, the same bus switching, line switching modes it's it's just very either you're a four and a half second bart ride away or you're it's 40 minutes 40 minute like um two buses and oakland is amazing but it's the same thing it takes quite some time to get out there we went out to berkeley this time and we went to chez panisse which was a, an experience and i think a good one for us to have it but it's it was nice to be out in berkeley even though it's hippy dippy and kind of crunchy it's just nice to be in a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but in San Francisco, I've really become drawn to that specific area of the mission that's a little, I guess it's closer to the dog patch. Is that right? Uh, yeah. It's more Although industrial. There's several things between there and dog patch. Okay, well. It's like, the, I don't even know what it's called. I would say it's. It's more cut. industrial and yeah. it's just, um, I really like it. Me and too. I like being there. I like the Castro too. Just spent a lot of time around there, and it's nice to have a neighborhood. And, you know, I mentioned Byright. Oh, I also love that street, Divisadero, that has another Byright. Oh, and the mill. Yeah, and the mill, and that great um, seafood place we went to. Oh, uh, Bar Crudo. Yeah, and yeah. and then there's apparently there's a bar, that barbecue place over there is really I good. I have not eaten there yet. But Someday. I love that neighborhood. And it's just, to me, much more, it's much nicer to work from a place like that when you have a neighborhood to go back to. Yeah. Uh, and it's a little frustrating that stuff closes a little too early. Like I really like going to the Union Made store, which is yeah. a really great menswear store on 18th, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But it closes at like 7 during the week. Yeah. So if I'm in like, especially coming from New York, 7 is like, 7 is the new 5. Yeah. Like, so I'm, I'm never anywhere before 7. So, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, so I occasionally get to go there for literally from 650 to 7. Yeah. But uh, I actually have recently purchased a couple of things from there. So Yeah, I love this really great brand, store. this Italian brand that we're getting very into for you. Yeah. What is it called? Uh I don't know, but I can look. Yeah, just look. Jeopardy music. Barena, Barena, I don't Barena. know. Barena. Okay. Yeah. Allora. <laughs> um, Do we have to go to Italy now? Maybe. The first season of Master of None inspired us to go to Nashville for a weekend. And maybe the second season will send us to Italy. Weren't we planning on going to Italy for our trip next year anyway? Quite possible. We'll find out. Um, but the thing was, when we went on vacation the last time, we went to tokyo and then we went to australia went to melbourne and sydney and we did c- the same thing particularly in in tokyo we stayed in nakemegoro 
for a few days in an Airbnb. And that, to me, is our neighborhood in Tokyo, right? For me. At least for me, one of them, yeah. For me, that's the neighborhood I'm most comfortable in. Um, Which has changed a lot. Like, we went there 2010 for the first time, and it was still, like, very quiet. There was that cute little cafe we bought that that carving from. And now it's, like, become more commercial. There's that... A little bit more. There's a Nike lab. Yeah. Although, really cool. Actually, um, I'll, I'll link to it. They... Uh, they did a really cool thing with the train station there mm-hmm. where they um, finally built up enough. That I, I guess that there were some structural issues with the train line where they had to like make it earthquake proof. Mm. But since that happened, they opened a really, really great little retail establishment uh, under the train station, including a little uh, bookstore magazine kiosk from the Tsutaya uh, company, which also makes, uh, in my opinion, the best bookstore in the world, which is a little up the street in Daikinyama, the tea site. Mm-hmm. If you ever go to Tokyo, you have to go to the tea site. Um, but also a lot of other little shops and restaurants and bars, including, yeah, really nice. including that hilarious bakery. city bakery from New York, which yeah. has which, the pretzel croissant and yeah. all that stuff. But, but they had some other thing that they kept, they were billing as being American that was not. Uh, some I'm weird, guessing it involved a hot dog. Yes, some weird like hot dog pastry or something. This past issue of Popeye, which I skimmed at Uniqlo but did not purchase, is uh-huh. the hot dog issue. And awesome. it's just like several pages of really pornographic hot dog uh, imaginations. I do love a Different hot dog. Different sauces. Okay. Here's my opinion about hot dogs. I do like the way they taste. But I feel like you're never satisfied just eating one hot dog. And I'm at the point now, I don't think I could eat one of those buns. Oh. Those buns are, like, pretty gross. Well, you really want to go upscale with, like, a nice potato bun. Yeah, but like even that. that, I don't think I would be into mm. it. I haven't. It's been so long since I've had just a hot dog. Do you like the, like, dark red beef hot dogs? Or do you prefer the more... I don't uh, really artificial, care. like bouncy pork hot dogs. I'm happy with both. I'd say probably the the artificial. Me too. They're I, they're delicious. Yeah. But the, I don't like the beef, the red hot beef hot dog. But the thing is, it's like eating a candy bar, like a Snickers bar. It's not satisfying. It is a fake food. So afterwards, you're like, Ugh, I don't feel full or or satisfied at all. I have to eat something else. I mean. The greatest hot dog in my life was the Chicago-style hot dog at Demon Dogs Mm -hmm. underneath the Fullerton L Station in Chicago, which for, I believe, a dollar, it was either a dollar or like a dollar fifty, or at the most two dollars. You would get a hot dog with, actually, they didn't do the full Chicago style. They did not have, I don't think they had tomatoes or... Uh, celery salt or any of that stuff, but you would get a hot dog and like a one third order of fries mm-hmm. kind of stuffed into this paper dish for like a buck fifty or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So you could get two of those if you were hungry. You could get one if you just wanted a snack. The yeah. fries were like super deliciously greasy and gross. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Demon Dogs is, yeah. has been long gone. See, for me, and I think this has to do with you know, our, the way we eat day to day, but also just what is interesting now 
for me, I'm much more interested. I'd rather go and get tacos. Yeah. Like, if I'm going to eat something from a oysters, cart. But okay, tacos. Oh, yeah, oysters <laughs> for sure. Or any so, yeah, of the other. the new tacos? I mean, the new hot dogs? Any no. of the other, like. Yeah. I'm, I'm, shit we I eat. would always take a taco over a hot dog. Yeah. Well, whereas I think growing up, I I don't know about you. I grew up in Pittsburgh. There were there were not tacos at the at the baseball stadium. I bet there are now. I mean, not that I have been to a baseball stadium in. We the last definitely decade. had like cheap taco, cheap Mexican places all over the place. In you Chicago, did, but I never went to any until high school. That's like, interesting. Never, Went to one once, and I think everyone got sick. But, but they don't, and they didn't have that in Pittsburgh. Yeah, there's a huge Mexican population in Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. especially where I grew up. Yeah, but I think now, you know, if we're out late at night, we're looking for tacos. Yeah, always. Whereas, and, and for me, in every city, including yeah. places that should not be like, uh, where did I eat? I had some, uh, some comically bad taco experience oh in san jose that it wasn't very good it was fine but well i'm excited to eat those tacos in um copenhagen yeah it's so i would say one of the more interesting taco uh oh wow we've been talking about nothing for 17 minutes yeah it's pretty awesome soon we'll get to the soon we will get to the uh technology of fashion and the fashion you know the five people who are going to listen to this are are going to be on the edge of their seat because they're so happy that we've returned. I hope so. Um, tacos. I mentioned the Copenhagen tacos. Oh yeah. I, I'm, I love this, uh, tacos and weird places thing that's going on. Like yeah. My, so my favorite tacos are in Paris now at Candelaria. Yeah. Uh, and apparently the tacos in Copenhagen at this one place are, Amazing. Well, the woman is from Mexico City, but she worked at Noma. Yeah. And then opened her own. And she has, I think there's a few of them. I have a feeling we're going to eat there more than once. Let's do it. I, th- I mean, obviously, the the reason this has happened is because, uh, in case you uh, have been living under a tree, um, many of the best cooks in the world are from Mexico. So... And it's awesome that now they get to actually make their own food instead of just everyone else's. Yeah. And we also went to Mexico City since we last taped this. You know? Didn't we? Uh, we had just gotten back. Oh, so did we, did we speak to it? I don't know. But Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that was fun too. Yeah, that was cool. Um, well, that takes us back a year. We don't have to we don't have to humble brag too much, but it's been yeah. really fun. Uh, I have an entirely new wardrobe which we'll talk about sometime we'll yeah talk about well my we uniform. can talk about it we'll talk about that af- in, a, in a future show yeah, well or we can talk about it connected to the next topic absolutely or the third topic what do you want to talk about next well we're going to start with i think the big news of the week which was the end of the mickey drexler era at j crew well he's still the chairman yeah but that yeah yeah exactly um i mean he's 72 Right. It makes sense. Like hey, even even Trump, if right? all this stuff had happened, yeah. Apparently oh my God, Trump, Trump is, was elected since we last did the show. Yeah. Let's not talk about no, that. No, I don't want to talk about it. Um, apparently, Trump will be the oldest is the oldest living president or something like that, or will be when yeah. his term is over. Great. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. So Lauren's going to tell us what happened this week because I was on a plane. So on Monday, Mickey Drexler announced that he was stepping down as the CEO of J Crew. He is being replaced by the CEO of West Elm, which I find 
a little comical given was that he the current CEO at West Elm? He was the current huh. CEO. Um, I think it's interesting because West Elm has done a really good job at building a lifestyle around that brand, especially the home goods market. And we don't talk about that a lot here, but you know, when I talk to real estate brokers or, or just people in the retail business, home goods is like the next market to be disrupted. It already has been to an extent. I mean, I think that um, Design Within Reach, did they almost file for bankruptcy or they were in really bad financial shape a few years ago? I think they were ended up being acquired by Herman Miller. Yeah, because of bad financial, a yeah. bad financial situation. Um, then... A lot of those mid-level, Crate and Barrel, CB2, West Elm, um, Restoration Hardware, trying to think of the other ones. What's that? Pottery Barn, Pier 1. All of those brands that were kind of the go-to if you... It was kind of the step up from, from Ikea have really suffered in the last few years. One of the reasons is Ikea, and they have... Ikea doesn't have that many stores in the U.S. It's kind of, if you look it up, it's not that many. There's still a lot of markets where they, they don't exist. And once they do, I think it really shifts things. They're the fast fashion of of the home goods market. Then the other thing is Wayfair.com. You know, a lot of their sales come from um, paid acquisition, but they their growth is insane. They've just, are there knockoffs or what are they? Wayfair is like... I don't know. We would never buy stuff on there. It's, it's like ugly. Is it IKEA or worse or better? It's it's not IKEA. It's do you know that place Home Goods? No. You're like it's Home Goods is um the TJ Maxx furniture store. Oh. Is, does that give you? It's kind of uh-huh. on that. I mean, yeah. there is also the Wayfair just has tons of stuff so there is a chance we have a couple things from there because it's Hmm. like i need a wire basket where would i get a wire basket and they have 15 different options so it has disrupted that market and then the other thing is um people's tastes have just changed and and they want different things and and you know we have only made a couple big furniture purchases but when we have we we went to room and board which is american-made decent stuff that apparently uses the same factories as design within reach uses but a lot cheaper it's not as cheap as crate and barrel but you know our couch was i think what 2500 or 2200 and you can buy a couch at cb2 or crate and barrel for that same price and this is supposedly a little higher quality. And I have to say, we're super happy with our couch, right? Also, it's just like a nice couch. Whereas yeah. every time I go to CB2, I'm like, why is it? It looks. Why does it look so weird? Yeah. It's just a little too trendy. A little too weird. Whereas, because the thing is, it's funny. As someone who, I think because I've been writing about clothes for so long, I am not, I know why things cost the way they do, even if it's an absurd amount of money. I understand why it's been priced. The price value equation has been put in. Even if I don't agree with it, I understand why. Whereas with things like furniture, you don't swipe that out a lot. And for some reason, I'm just much more careful about how much money I spend on furniture and and what we buy. I think we're, whereas... It's very weird. If you add up 10 dinners, it's it's a couch, but you never think of... 
but it's spending a tenth of that as being a problem. But and, and, you're always weird about buying yeah. a, a couch. And perhaps that's why you look at it. Thousands every, of hours. Yeah, and perhaps that's why because yeah. you look at it every single day, so you're reminded of how much you spent on it Could every be. single day. Whereas you know you put a blazer in the closet and you don't have to look at it and remember that you spent way too much money on it. I don't know. That's just a, a theory. But anyway. Um, why were we talking about this? West Elm. CEO. Oh yeah. So West Elm is interesting because they have done a good job. They're based in Dumbo. So they're right down the street from us and they are owned by the same people that own, um, I think restoration hardware and that they're part of that group, but they've been a bright spot in that group and they've done a good job of, they did a collaboration with like Stephen Allen. They, they've done collaborations with kind of, more modern, lesser-known apparel designers, but also, it, you know, when you're celebrities or, or influencers or, or what have you, they're not they're choosing people who they think that the people in their neighborhood in Brooklyn would be interested in. And I'd say out of all those places, while we would not spend a lot of money on a couch from there, we've, I think our TV console is from there. There we have a few things from CB2. there. CB2. Oh really? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, I, it's definitely the place where you know I don't go in there and and buy stuff at any frequency, but their taste level seems to be a little bit higher, higher than the and other. just like more current. Yeah. Than a lot of those other places where I I go into and I feel like I'm stuck in like 2003 yeah. or something like that. But they have also had quality issues, and there was this. When I tweeted about Mickey stepping down and West Elm um, guy, I think his name's Jim Jim Brett. Do you want to look that up just to make sure I'm not getting it wrong? I think it's Jim Brett. I will look when it up. When he um, and that he was coming in, someone tweeted at me that it's funny because they've had such quality issues. And there was, a, I want to say, a Salon or Slate article about this sofa that they have called the... James Brett. Yeah, Jim Brett, I think. is how. Jim Brett. James or Jim, whatever. Yeah, but um, I see both here. There's this um, they have this couch called the Peggy, and it was oh, and this Peggy. writer wrote, I think it was Salon. She wrote this big essay about how it was the worst couch in the world. They ended up having to take it off the market and gave people um refunds, rebates because it's so bad. So and it was a, it was the all, and it was a great article called why does this one couch from west elm suck so much yeah comparing notes with other unsatisfied owners of the peggy sofa and wow this looks horrible and it really it they took it off the market and gave everybody refunds yeah which so, is the right thing to do yeah so the the one of the big issues with j crew as of late has been that the quality has gone down a lot because they tried to push down the prices so they changed a lot of manufacturing and therefore the quality wasn't as good as it used to be. Um, and so he's experienced that and perhaps will be able to, um, you know, may it, perhaps he, he's learned his lesson. It, the, the, those markets aren't, it's that different. It's the same, the West Elm, customer and the J Crew customer are most certainly the same customer if you're looking at what demographic demographics they're trying to reach. So in that way, he he might be a really good fit for them. Um, it'll just depend on how he and 
the creative director, Sam Sack, who is replacing Jenna Lyons, who exited while well, she's she's still consulting, but who stepped down about two months ago. And that's kind of the bigger story is that yeah. not only is the CEO leaving, but in the last two months, basically, the men's and women's creative directors have also been kind of pushed out. Yes. Well, and the thing is, you know, Jenna Lyons was was at J. Cruz for, I think, 18 years. The and and Somsak, the the new creative director of both, had has also been there since I think two thousand. You know, this is a company where people stay for a really long time. Um, so Jenna it w- it was obviously it was her and and Mickey and they had the the president of J Crew at the time at the time was this woman Tracy Gardner, who Mickey brought over from Gap, and they were. You know, in the mid aughts, when J. Crew became, and it kind of was at the same time of the Obama presidency, and Michelle Obama and the girls wore a lot of J. Crew, it it was really at the center of the zeitgeist. It was J. Crew. Uh, Jenna Lyons changed the way women dress for sure, and I think the the menswear heads that worked under her changed the way a lot of men dress too. I think that. If it weren't for, yes, I work in fashion and we started dating around that time as well. So we started dating in what, 2007? So, yes, you were influenced by me. years ago this summer. Yeah. So, um, but I also think that you learned a lot about fashion from from J. Crew. Yeah. And that's if if you were awake at 1 a.m. on uh, Thursday morning, I went on a mini tweet storm about this. But, um, you know, we've probably talked about J. Crew a bunch on the show before, but it's really the place where I started to really pay attention to where to what I was wearing. Is was the era that I was shopping there a lot. You know, before that, I I had um, I had spent time and money on clothes before that. I you know I worked at the Gap in high school and I bought all kinds of crap there on my employee discount, including leather pants and <laughs> a suede. Uh, shirt jacket and a neon yellow uh, down vest and overalls and all kinds of silly stuff. And then after that, I worked at a camping store and I was wearing all kinds of very obnoxious seersucker shirts and zip off shorts and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I had my ill-fated Express for Men era. You're not going to mention Coleman? And then my favorite, which was Coleman, the shirt, shirt seller. My still one of my favorite shirts of all time, which was like an orange and blue striped shirt. Oh, it's such a great shirt. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> Coleman's uh, logo and accent color for a lot of things was purple. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, about ten or eleven years ago, um, you know, we worked two blocks from one of the J Crew flagship stores on Fifth Avenue. I started going there after work. Um, my first. Uh, picnic check shirt was from there. I yeah. started buying a lot of stuff there, a lot of shirts. Definitely my gingham era kind of mm-hmm. rooted itself at J. Crew. Um, and, you know, they they make really great men's basics. Uh, the shorts, the Stanton shorts are amazing. The I've actually started buying all my jeans there. They, they finally figured out like a pair of jeans that fits me, or at least I figured out where to buy one. The seven. Yeah. Was it called a seven, seven something, seven seventy or something like that? Um, there's just a really great 
pair of jeans that I'm on my like fifth or sixth pair. I buy one every six months and wear it every day. Um, and the, you know, I have a suit from there that's very good that that is has hold, held up very well. It's a place to get a reliable white dress shirt to wear, although I'm between sizes, which is very frustrating. Although I don't know if that's their fault or mine. Um, but that store and that men's shop on Fifth Avenue, like, you know, when it opened, I just wanted to go there and hang out. It was really cool. They had neat displays there. It was very well merchandised. That also happens to be one of the J. Crews with the best sales section in New York. Um, you know, they have the they have this thing called the liquor store, which is like a, a cool boutique men's shop, which started off as having unique stuff there. Now it's just like every other J. Crew men's shop, but they don't have uh, a good sales section there. Although, you know what? I don't think I've ever gotten anything good in the sales section. It's always no. like, oh, the ugly shirts that didn't sell out or like yeah. very weird sizes of jeans. I, I do have some black jeans there that I bought that are too small for me that I continue to try to stretch into the right size. But I think I don't they know look good I, on you, though. Well, try sitting down, though. Okay. I don't know if they'll ever fit. Anyway, so it was definitely the store that like – and to a lesser extent, Uniqlo, like in the 2005 to 2000. 9 2011 area where I was really spending a lot of time and effort into dressing like in a way that I think represented myself well. Oh, how could I forget? Actually, the best thing J. Crew does are the collaborations. Like their New Balance, their Navy New Balance, I think I probably bought like eight pairs of at 200 bucks a pop. They're just amazing, really high quality shoes that you can wear every day for six to 12 months and, and they don't fall apart and, and they look great. And I have not, like, over the last year and a half, I've really drifted away from there. Part of it is geographical. I just don't work near that store anymore. But but nothing's really drawing me there. They really have not figured out this more experiential retail thing anymore. Like the, Which is where, actually, West Elm Market, which was in our neighborhood, um, was really interesting. So, so I think, A, we should probably... I also think the catalog was hugely influential for you. And I, we should say you are not someone who reads GQ or Esquire. No. Like I've tried. You don't. Yeah, actually, why would I make you read GQ? But I, the Esquire, I haven't read in a long time. It might be great right now. It used to be a really great read. But you just were never. Not and not it. And not definitely not for the fashion stuff. It's just not your thing. But you loved that J. Crew catalog. That you was. used to. And so what happened, and then I think we just need to explain why all these people got fired and, and just talk a little yeah. really clearly about what happened there. But, but can you talk a little bit about why the catalog is not as important to you as it used to be? Because it did introduce you to New Balance and other brands outside of J. Crew because they do have a nice program where they bring in brands they love. I think it's called that, like brands we love or whatever. Uh, in good company. In good company. And um, and including like, like Nanamika and like that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, because the people, the guys Nanamika. who work there. I mean, if you look at all the menswear designers who have left J Crew, there's Todd Snyder, there's a few others. They are all very talented. Um, um, Sim Mashburn, they're they're all very talented designers who like cool shit so of course they like nanamika or, or what have yeah. you uh the catalog uh catalog to me uh, just feels very cheap now 
maybe it always did. I don't know. I, I actually in high school I used to read before. There was like a two year window where Abercrombie was uh, before they became all about uh, like porn. Basically, they mm-hmm. were just selling kind of plain, interesting clothes like i actually bought they jeans were great there i still have a dress from kind of stuff i have a dress from 1996 from abercrombie that i wear every summer yeah, it was actually 96 and 97 like 95 through 97 they, they were yeah they were, i think they went public they were cool. in 96 and i think once they started to ramp up that's when when yeah. it so they did the quarterly magazine which was on nice paper it was you know in many parts an ad for the clothing, but a lot of times it was an ad for the lifestyle, and the writing was never good, but it was kind of fun to. It was page interesting. It. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting, and there was a point I think where the J Crew catalog, you know, three four years ago, had more content to it than just uh, clothing spreads, basically, and I don't know the ones I see now don't. They're like ugly paper. Um, cheap the men's one is always smaller than the women's one like they just it's uh, we i remember we both got catalogs the same week even with the same cover and yours was twice as thick as mine it was like what what do you guys yeah what's your problem um they just i i don't know if it's a they, they do some interesting stuff on social media that's more editorial but not really i mean it's mostly now just here's the clothes so yeah. i the the and i'm not the first to come up with this whoa uh, everything's cool. Uh, I'm not the first to come up with this, but the the failure of J Crew to go beyond their clothing line and actually create a lifestyle around the J, you know the J Crew life, I think is a problem. Uh, that's interesting because I think you think that that's part of the reason they didn't last. That I they were someone, only a moment. Someone else wrote that. I I'm not claiming to come up with that i, I think, think eliza a, wrote wrote something about could it. be yeah and i think that's a plausible criticism i mean one so, someone was saying they don't sell enough stuff that's not clothing in the stores and you know around the around christmas yeah. they have a they have a garbage table of like cocktail ice cube trays and yeah. stuff like that and and what i tweeted at one in the morning was why why are they not selling me expensive Apple Watch bands? Like why especially J- Mickey Drexler on the fucking board well, of Apple. He's not on the board, not of, on Apple the board of Apple anymore. anymore. <laughs> Mickey Drexler was on the board of Apple like I don't I would I would probably have spent hundreds of dollars on J Crew Apple Watch but bands. But that's another conversation that we need to have that we were supposed to have in January 2017 about why there aren't enough They're Apple not Watch enough. bands. But that can we talk about that really quickly after we finish what is wrong with J Crew? Yes. So essentially, the thing that we we buried the lead. So Mickey Drexler left, Jenna Lyons left, Frank. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Left. Frank the, Frank the Tank. Frank Mugens or something like yeah. that. I'm terrible at pronunciation. Apologies to Frank. Very hashtag men. Now, is, was he hashtag men? Yeah, yeah. Of yeah, course. Okay. I mean, um, all those. So. All the people responsible, and Frank was not the only menswear designer. They've had a lot of different designers come up in the last 15 years through menswear. But generally, the the three people most responsible for the success of J. Crew, especially Jenna and Mickey, and the Mickey's ability to pull Jenna. Like the whole story is that 
Jenna had been a designer there for a really long time and had never really. I mean, it J Crew was was known for being nicer than Lands End or or what have you, kind of an upscale preppy store. So you would get I there was no J Crew in Pittsburgh when I was growing up. There was one at the fancy mall by the time I was in college, but there wasn't a J Crew. It was I got the catalog and I bought tweed cargo pants there and like a merino sweater and it was much more expensive than the gap and I would actually wear it with New Balance in high school which is funny because my style has not changed very much yeah, it but um like me last year yeah exactly but I remember I bought a couple things from J Crew for senior year and people were like you look like you're in college nice. but it was a little more sophisticated but it wasn't fashion at all yeah so there's this like cool interesting woman working there with amazing style and he apparently just realized how great she was pulled her out of the the lineup and said do what you want to do she brought on this woman gail who's the lead stylist there who's very much in in uh, responsible for the um look and styling of j crew so the mixing of of sequins with khakis and things like that and it's both her and jenna's aesthetic but he kind of let them do what they want and then they had this great merchandiser so the merchandiser is the person who allocates what kind of product actually goes in the store mm. so they had this great merchandiser named Tracy Gardner who was able to have the right mix of product in the store hmm. but she's still there no she left yeah. in 2010 and their peak was in 2012 so essentially what happened was J crew was very of the moment Jenna Lyons, her aesthetic was very of the moment. She became, she was, you know, she is probably the most important fashion designer of the last 15 years. It In the U.S., definitely, but abroad also. She really influenced the way, you know, high, high-level designers think about um, merchandising clothes and putting clothes together and also just the way we all dress. I was never a big J, J crew shopper. I mean, I think you, you, if you really think back, my closet was never filled with J crew cause it's just not my style, but I would shop there a decent amount for random pieces because I really admired what she did. And it was just a part of the aesthetic at that point. But the thing is... You even wrote a great essay once where you wish that they were selling their men's stuff yeah, in women's sizes. Be, yeah. Which... And, it, and women's cuts. Yeah, which I really did. I, I always liked them. It's just more my style. I'm not someone... I don't... I will never... I'm not a sparkly... I don't like sparkles. I'm never going to wear... Oh, God. I, <laughs> a lot... I mean, ever. I'm... It's very random that that's the one like i never wear anything with sequins or anything yeah. i had that one chloe dress that had a little sequins underneath the mesh that was brown do you remember that no <laughs> anyway the sequins are the truffle I don't do, oil of it, it of just clothing. i've been an adult for tw um, what um 15 years i've never yeah. i'm not into it it's just not my thing but anyway it really captured a moment. And the thing is, when you are super, super, super popular for a moment, you have to figure out how to ride that out and become more than that moment. And they never became more than that moment. And, 
you know, it, that's very common in in retail. Retail's extremely cyclical. We've I've probably said that a hundred times on this podcast. And if you look at something like Abercrombie or Gap or Banana Republic or you know any any brand that has a time when everybody's wearing a ton of stuff from it eventually that time is going to end. And at the high end, it's the same thing. There will be an it bag or an it item or, you know, right now everybody has bomber jackets. Five years from now, will we all have them? I don't know. You know, so it, things even, come even and Even American go. Apparel, which was based on this concept of basics and like just everything plain, even that flamed out. Yeah, exactly. Like everything has its moment. And especially now because the the thing that happened to J Crew was aesthetically they didn't they didn't progress in a direction that I think it just became more extreme and that turned people off. So there were all these letters of people being like bring back the old J Crew and the other issue was that um so they didn't they didn't progress in a way that that was right and then they also panicked when when they did start to see sales dip and you have to remember this is at the time when Zara was making you know we come back to fast fashion a lot and it is a lot of it is fast fashion was kind of coming up this at the same time as J Crew and if you're a 25-year-old woman who works in advertising as a media planner at some advertising firm and you make, I don't know, close to 100 grand a year, you probably make a lot less than that, but I have no idea what, what those kinds of... 50 grand. 50 grand a year. If you're, you can go to Zara once a week and their stuff is not great quality, but it has a really good um, ha- hanger appeal. It, it hangs really well because they the, the term that they use in... Um, um, apparel manufacturing is they have a really good needle so the stuff just like hangs nicely on the rack whereas if you go to h&m everything looks kind of wrinkled and junky it's that's why they just have a they zara uses a really they have their stuff looks good so it was this convergence of j crew was not no longer the hot hot thing so why would you go there when you can go to zara and get stuff that feels super super current for a little bit cheaper and so they panicked. They started making stuff that was quote unquote basics to go back to the quote unquote original J. Crew, which didn't ever really exist. Like no one was ever going there saying, I need to stock up on all my t shirts from J. Crew. T- and the t shirts were not great. No. Like they were. No. I bought they, a couple I mean, the because things I that literally that... needed a t shirt that day and I never yeah. wear it because it's just not a good yeah. t shirt. The things that people went there for were bathing suits, which I'm sure their bathing suit business is still doing really well because bathing suits are still, it's it's a really good business to be in because people don't wait to buy them on sale. And it's hard for years. I mean, there was nowhere else. Yeah, you really need a fucking swimsuit when you need a swimsuit. Yeah, there was no one else who made simple bathing suits. Now they have a lot more competition, but their bathing suits are still really affordable. Yeah. Where Does Everlane make bathing suits? No, and no. well, they really should. I yeah. would buy one in a second. I bought swimming trunks. Yeah, but there. I really only, because we don't go swimming a lot, I only really shop at J. Crew for my bathing suits because they're like 98 bucks. And there are bathing suits I really like that are $300, but I probably go swimming three times a year, if that. Anyway, so they panicked 
tried to go, quote unquote go back to basics and started reissuing this stuff that was popular a few years ago. But that stuff doesn't resonate anymore. They also tried to bring the price point down a little bit. And again, it's not a it's not really about that. It's that price value equation. Do you feel like what you're getting is worth the money? And it just stopped feeling like it was worth the money. And how do you move past that? Well, if you're a pu- private company, you can kind of be quiet for a few years and work through it. If you have $2 billion in debt, so J.Crew was public and then went private with a private equity firm. And if, if you have $2 billion in debt, you have to still report your earnings every quarter what are they going to do? And that's the issue with a lot of these retailers. They have so much debt that you can't just not, you know, Levi's is a private company. I think they actually do release their information, but Levi's is not, is, this is a hard time for them, but they've been around for a hundred years and I'm sure they've been public at, at certain points because they can work they've worked through and they know what the value of their product is. Like jeans are never going to go away, even with athleisure and all this stuff. Yeah. Their North star is one product. Yeah. And you know, they can always come back to that. Yeah. And they, and, but the thing with J crew is they never figured out what that was. And they also don't have the luxury of working it out. And it happens with every retailer. And, and, you know, part of me just thinks you should let these things go away. And die well, and they've also trapped themselves now where you can literally not spend full price there ever. Like no. everything's always 30, 40% off or 20% off. And this, I, I, you know, again, my 1 a.m. analysis, again, not knowing really anything about their business, was they need to close half their stores and get rid yeah. of half their product. Like the, you go yeah. to J. Crew on Fifth Avenue in New York City and in Flatiron District, and you're like, oh, this is a really special store. This is, you know, beautiful high ceilings really nice fixtures you go to j crew in some mall somewhere and you're like wait these are the same clothes in a really tacky setting no one's in the store this yeah. is super weird that yeah. this that this exists I mean, pretty much every retailer needs to close half their stores yeah. and the funny thing is <laughs> pretty much every, the funny thing is e-commerce does better if you have a store that's good in that area so a lot of brands that i talk to who are on you know, the upward trajectory. So maybe they have $10 million a year in sales and they're opening, they have five stores. They open stores in areas where they have a big e-commerce business because that drives traffic to the store. But they open one store. And the thing is, you just don't, you need stores. But And I think a lot of the the direct-to-consumer brands, I mean, Warby Parker has been super ahead, and I think because they got in so early and most of their early sales were not paid acquisition, that gave them a huge head start. And they're also in a market that really did, there are no other options, so eyewear. And I think Luggage, we talk about that brand away a lot. And Raiden, those that those are markets where you really need product. But We'll do a deep dive yeah. ne- next episode. Yeah, but um, the big thing is, you need, you definitely need stores. And I think like Everlane, Outdoor Voices, um, brands like that, the only way that they're going to survive is if they do open some stores. But all of these brands, it doesn't matter if you're direct to consumer, if you are a mall brand, if you're a really high end, if you're Louis Vuitton, 
they are all suffering from the same problem right now, and that is, I mean, I wouldn't say Louis Vuitton is suffering because their <laughs> sales are all, you know, the LVMH's yeah, I would love to suffer like very, Louis Vuitton suffers. Yeah, but the issue right now is that everybody has access to everything, and so people are buying stuff from everywhere. Yes, Amazon is part of that, but it's not just Amazon. It's They just have access to everything. You have access. You buy stuff from Copenhagen constantly. You buy stuff from Paris. You you ship sneakers from Japan. How can J. Crew compete with that? Whereas before, you didn't have any other options. Like someone, I'm doing. I have the story coming out on Monday on um, like the the upscale strip malls like Brentwood Country Mart or um, there's a place called West Size Provisions in um Atlanta and why these kinds of mixed-use retail perform pretty well. I mean, how well, you know, is a little difficult to estimate, but, you know, they are are active. There are people in, in these places compared to these enclosed malls. And the thing is, before, when I was growing up, there wasn't another option. You had to go to the mall to go shopping. There wasn't yeah. some cool... Now you go to Pittsburgh and Shadyside has... It, you know, the shady side existed when I was growing up, but it had like a few really high end stores and it wasn't somewhere that, you know, a kid from the suburbs in Pittsburgh went to go shopping. And now like people are down there all the time. So it's just changed the what people, the access people have to things and, and what they want. And and it has so much less to do with it's not a captive, captive audience anymore. And so these models just don't work. Yeah. I think the model for J. Crew, well, there's a bunch of them. I think one of them, actually, I think one of them should be Nike. Like, Nike has built an incredible lifestyle yep. around itself as not just a shoe brand, but as a active, you know, being a smart, active person. And I don't think J. Crew is going to be the running no. brand of choice. Actually, although I'll tell you what, the New Balance running collection they just did is freaking great. Well, you know, the funny thing is, in 2014, Mickey Drexler was like, we will never do athletic wear yeah. we'll never do it and they had a consulting firm come in and that consulting firm said 40 percent of your business should be active wear wow. or 50 some crazy number that's that was what some what someone yeah. told me well, i can't I confirm bought a that 50 plastic t-shirt from them the uh, funny the funny thing is you know it was too late yeah and and the, also yeah it, he should have done something fun that business is is tough too, but you're the what you you hit the nail on the head with Nike and why it's a case study for anyone is that Nike is at Kohl's and it's at Dover Street Market and that doesn't dilute its brand in any way and everybody buys it, everybody wears it, and it still feels special and like I want these Tom Sachs Nikes yep. that just came out. For I have no reason really, but I do really like the way they look. But like, the fact that I care about that, it's and they're two hundred bucks, which is expensive. But then you can buy thirty dollar Nike T shirt at Kohl's or a fifteen dollar Nike T shirt at Kohl's, and and that doesn't make Nike seem gross. Yeah, and and they've done a really good, and I think what it is and you said lifestyle it's about the community that they've created around it and i think 
some of the J Crew community is probably embarrassed to be part of the J Crew community, so they need to fix that problem. But like that men's shop in New York, a I've told them I've been saying this for years. They need a they need a whiskey bar there, or or a cafe at the very least. Yeah. Like people need to to hang out there and do more things. They need to they probably need to get rid of half their stores and half their SKUs. They definitely need to upgrade their technology like s- significantly. Like the fact that I can't. Pre, the fact that I can't order something online and pick it up in the store an hour later, yeah, the way I can crazy. at the Apple store or even at freaking Best Buy, yeah. is embarrassing. And it's still coming from a different merch, uh, different uh, inventory, and it's just it's inexcusable now. I need to be able yeah. to order, and Uniqlo has this problem. They all have this problem. I need to be able to go on the website, say, oh, I need a sweater and shorts for this trip. I'm going to pick it up in an hour. Yeah. Done. And... It's crazy that none of them have and done it. And I would throw out that catalog and I would start a quarterly print magazine. Yeah, but, that's smart. And they should hire us to do it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but and, and sell me some Apple Watch ev- bands. And everything that you said is is spot on. And I think the other thing is, oh, the the, the other big thing is you, they educated you, you and Dan Fromer, yeah, as a consumer. By the way, we and forgot they, to introduce ourselves, but you know who we are, right? Yeah, okay, cool. um, it, they educated you as a consumer. Yes, you are married to someone who's a fashion writer, and maybe, but I didn't tell you about Norse projects, did I? No, we remember we. I found them by accident at Pilgrim when I needed a hat so, to bike. But home. do you think you would have ever found Pilgrim if you hadn't been shopping at J Crew and found Saturdays and found Saturdays and got over Saturdays and found Pilgrim because of it? Well, I think we geographically found Pilgrim because it was it's next to J. Next Crew. To, but J. Crew wasn't there when Pilgrim oh, really? opened up. No, okay. we were just actually. Well, you know why we found Pilgrim? Because we were at that deli buying hummus, okay. probably. Yeah, I love that place. The Pilgrim but, just happened to be perfectly located in Williamsburg. But, uh, but, but anyway, I think that you became more interested in different brands because of J. Crew. Absolutely. And so they really educated you. Also, they educated you on things like raw denim. Like I tried to get you to buy APC jeans, and you wouldn't do it. But you. We're comfortable at J. Crew because it's not, you know, and I feel like your interest in APC and, and those, you, it made you more comfortable with fashion yeah. and they didn't. Gateway drug. And they didn't grow with that consumer in a way that made sense. So. I should be buying my Norse Project shirts from J. Crew. Yeah. And not directly from NorseProjects.com with no VAT. Yeah. Which is a great way to buy them, by the way. 20% off. Yeah, that's smart. Um. And I do feel like for you, Norse Projects has really replaced J. Crew as your staple. I mean, that's all you wear. Basically. Yeah. And it's a little more expensive, but you mostly buy it on sale. But it's better. And it's better. I actually don't, I don't think it, I buy it without the bat. So it's essentially on sale. But yeah. 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 So but it's mostly technically full price. But although it, some places I buy it on sale. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's. It, it, and it was so clear when it was happening that there was going to be a crash. Yeah. And it was just a matter of when. But the thing is, you like these people. You root for them. You think they're really talented. You don't want, even as a reporter, I don't want anyone to fail. Even though I'm seeing all these these holes in what's in their business. It's every every brand that I look at, I see that. Yeah. And it's hard. But you need to have a plan of what to do next. So we'll see if this West Elm guy can help. And to have Mickey around, I think, will help be helpful, too. Yep. He's a good right. men- He's been a good mentor to a lot of people. We'll, we'll follow back up on this. 
Should and do, should we do one more quick? Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the HomePod very yeah. quickly. We'll talk about Apple Watch bands another time. Yeah, that sounds um, good. HomePod. So this week I was at Apple's annual Worldwide Developers Conference, which was in San Jose, California this year. Uh, this is their big summer event that they do every year where they announce things that are mostly for the developers that are in the audience, 6,000 people at this, uh, at this event. And, uh, in years past, it's usually just been a bunch of software, like the new iOS, the new Mac software, the new Apple watch operating system. And it's basically, here's all the new stuff that we're going to launch software wise this year. Here's how you can make apps for it, etc. Um, this year they had a lot of stuff to show off, including a lot of new software, which we can talk about some other time, um, peer-to-peer Apple Pay, all that kind of stuff. But they closed the show with a preview of a product that won't be launching until December called the HomePod. And it's Apple's answer to both the Sonos uh, full house speaker system and also the Amazon Echo, which is a kind of bad speaker with a lot of internet stuff built into it. Um, And it was interesting because Apple, you know, kind of the macro story is a Apple uh, has never really been a big player in home audio. They made um, an iPod dock called the iPod Hi-Fi a long time ago, which was uh, kind of comically expensive for the time relative to other iPod docks and was not beloved. So, Although now, histor- now in, in hindsight, it actually looks pretty cool, and I know some friends who actually have them, and I kind of want to go on eBay and buy one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they were excellent speakers or anything either like that. Uh, they were like right before the uh, the Jambox or something like that, which was much smaller for the and, – um, and, uh, and then also their take on the Echo, which – kind of came out of nowhere like it's one of those amazon things where it was like what are you guys making you're making a speaker that people talk to and now everyone's like oh yeah i have i have i'm not going to say her name but i have the echo i ask her about the weather every day and we just use her to stream npr for two hours and yeah we have like inside jokes with her and all that kind of stuff so it's obvious and apple has had siri for a long time but uh it's kind of disappointing and even though Siri is, is much more used than Amazon's Do you is. ever use Siri? Uh, I never use I it. I try to, and it's disappointing, in large part because I think the microphones on the phone are just not nearly as good as the ones uh, on the Echo. Okay. Um, like, if I'm trying to talk from across the room, uh, it doesn't work. So, that's I think that's what this product is addressing. A lot of it is music-focused, and mm-hmm. I think that is partially because... Apple has Apple Music and is trying to really be successful there, but I think also they're, uh, I think, aware of the of the shortcomings of Siri, yeah, and have not. And it, we'll see. It's coming out in December, so they will probably have at least one more event before then where they could show off other stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know, but so anyway, right before the show, I, I had Lauren watch the end of the keynote and the HomePod reveal, and I'm curious what uh, what your take is. So I took some notes. Oh wow. Amazing. I really like the way they look. Yeah. So the space gray, clearly we're not getting the white. Why no. would anyone And it get looks white? like it's more squat than the Echo, and it's kind of round and chubby. But it's like a speaker. It looks like a speaker, yeah. It has mesh on it. It has a mesh yeah. fabric covering I saw, it. You know, I, I was at the event. I saw one in person. I got to listen to it. Uh-huh. It looks 
looks nice. The a few things that I was excited about the responsive sound. So it sounds like it can detect where you are in the room or something, and the, so it gets louder and quieter. Um, is that correct? I think that it, what it does is it kind of senses where it is in the room uh-huh. and will design because it, it's basically a 360 like cylinder of speakers. Yeah, and it will design how it projects sound based on how it feels the room is. Okay. I don't think it's looking for you though. Oh, okay. I think that so they made this illustration that was kind of weird and it made it look like that. But I don't okay. think I don't think they're sensing where you well, are. Well, I still think that's helpful. One yeah. of the things with the echo that does bother me is that the sound is confusing. Hmm. Sometimes I need to turn it up. Sometimes I need to I say turn up the volume one, it's super, super loud turn up the volume, turn down the volume. You know, I would just like something a little more responsive that if there's a certain sound that I, if it's volume five that I'm comfortable with at mm. that moment, that it can adjust for if the music is louder or if the person's voice is quieter, that sort of thing would be helpful because I do feel like I end up doing that quite a bit. Um, the other thing that I like is I end up using Apple Music and um, connecting it to, to our Echo a lot just because while I find the Echoes, um, if you say play folk music on the Echo, they will have a great mix of modern folk music. Or if you say play modern folk music or play folk music, they'll have a great mix, but it's the same music over and over again. And we have we love the up, upbeat jazz station. Yeah. Um, and that we also I should say we subscribed to the four dollar a month Echo only Amazon Music service. Oh, because, that's what we have. Um, because we don't have Spotify. And and, and the, there's no Apple Music on Echo. And the thing is, the other thing that really bothers me about it is that it, it, I you want the soundtrack to Reality Bites. Like, I always want to play the soundtrack to Reality Bites. I don't know what that says about me. But, um, love it. They, you, it's really hard to get the, the echo to understand you. Yeah. And it's frustrating in that way. So um, we'll see if Siri's better at that. Yeah. But what I will say is, you know, like we're t- just talking about NPR, I have not listened to that kind of thing for years. Like, I haven't listened to local news in the morning. I mean, and it's global news. I, I'll look, I look on Twitter, and that's essentially where I get my news in the morning. And for the last, like, two weeks or three weeks, since I've been back from our trips, from my trips, I've been listening to NPR every single morning. And I just feel it's just really nice. And I don't, I, that sounds crazy. There was this is some. what Trump does to us. There, well, yeah, I mean, there was some article about, the success of radio in this era, but I do feel like with podcasts and I just, I find I'm never going to put on the TV. A lot of people watch New York one in the morning and I'm just not going to ever be that person. It's too distracting, but having the NPR is just great. And it's nice to hear that every morning. And I use that. So I'm excited to have an Apple product that, um, that does all that stuff. I'd rather it be an Apple product. What if I told you it did not stream NPR? It it, it does though. Does it? Yeah, it said it do, did on um. Oh. 
Because this is one of the things that is not quite clear yet. Like well, it I... said it was one of the questions you could ask, oh, Siri. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it specifically said, can you turn on an NPR for oh, me? Oh, great. Because yeah. we weren't sure I mean, that. if it doesn't do it, then I won't want it. I yeah. want it to but I'm sure it will. Um, and then the other thing is, I'm just not convinced that Siri, I literally have never been able to use Siri. Yeah. It's never worked for me. Whereas at least with Echo and Alexa, it works usually. At least she responds. Siri is just, it's never, I've never been able to use it for anything. Yeah. So in that way, in that way, I'm much more interested. I'm, I'm a little worried. And the thing is we're going on a trip, like a a good length trip at the end of the summer where we're going to be somewhere we're going to still be working and I want some sort of, I want the echo with us. Yeah. I think we'll get a dot. That's uh, the smaller. How one. much are they? It's like 50 bucks. Well, I don't understand. It's not that big. Why wouldn't we just take this and right. not waste $50? Sure. Then we so, can have a dot for another room. Yeah. But something. then we're going to get the <laughs> Apple ones. All That's right. Another all right, thing. All right. What do you think about it? I so I got to listen to it. Um, the sound is very interesting. It's definitely like I try to describe this to people, and they don't know what I'm talking about. In Chicago, when I was a kid, all the radio stations sound sounded the same, except B96, the pop station. They applied these audio filters to it, mm -hmm. and it just made it sound different, like alive. And yeah, it was kind of cheesy but it definitely like you would especially on crappy like car speakers yeah you would notice it it sounded like you were at a party yeah and apple is taking that like to the next dimension there's so much audio filtering mm -hmm. and and all these seven different speakers and these and the woofer and all that kind of stuff to make this small speaker sound big mm -hmm. and um, you know, we got to hear it side by side with a Sonos, like the cheaper Sonos, and then also with an Echo, and it sounds way better than the Echo, partially yeah. because the Echo is smaller. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the Sonos sounded better because it just sounded normal, and then even though it was the small Sonos, and sometimes the Apple thing sounded way better because it was just it it falsely made music come alive almost. Yeah. Um, especially when you have two side by side that. I mean, some of it's just like the extra volume, but um, they're applying so many filters and so much, you know, quote unquote technology to the sound that it really is a different experience. It's not like you're buying high end bookshelf speakers and, and playing them flat. You're yeah. you are really juicing up. It's it, it's like you're stoned or like you're on steroids or something like it's it's yeah. a really different experience, which um, I think people will like mm -hmm. a lot. I think that in some cases it just feels fake. Um, yeah. And I'm sure they can tune it. Like again, it's not coming out to December. This was very much like an early version of it. Um, and we didn't get to touch it or even talk to it or any of that kind of stuff. And I think ultimately like that, that's why they're emphasizing the music part. Cause they know they can nail that part. The internet, you know, Siri stuff, the, you know, Amazon has what sixteen thousand different skills you can hook up, which no one's no one does, but everyone has one or two set up. Um, hopefully, the Siri thing will do uh, our our uh, smart light bulb better because you, mm -hmm. you, you know, the Siri uh, Alexa makes you memorize a 
string and only say it the specific way and if you don't say it that way it doesn't work and you know we have trouble I have no idea what we're supposed to say right to turn the light bulb off I think oh thank you uh I think <laughs> Siri so funny. might do that better we'll see yeah um but that part is definitely a big question mark like is this going to compete as an internet speaker or is this really just a fancy home music thing and then my last question is does it also hook into Apple TV and serve as yeah. our TV entertainment system? I was going to ask you that because yeah. clearly we had some issues with that. We had a crappy Vizio soundbar that once I was on a trip and Lauren just unhooked it. Because and it's stupid it's and it, it really caused me a lot of stress yeah. trying to turn the TV on and turn the volume on and it's just easier to use the TV. I don't care so that's why, about like, the volume. Is, are, about are the, is the HomePod... Also, your soundbar or your home theater setup, or is there a different soundbar at some point, yeah. or, or not? And that's like one of the things that intrigues me about Sonos is that they have a specific soundbar and they have specific room speakers. And if we're gonna invest in a home sound system for you know a new apartment or something like that, do you go with the complete offering from Sonos, even though their software is not very good, or do you? Start playing with this Apple stuff. How much which fits are the Apple stuff? Three fifty per speaker. Oh wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. How much is the Amazon Echo? I think it's like one eighty or one. Okay, so this like is that. a seven hundred dollar investment that will be. If making. you get two, you can get one. But yeah, it's not cheap. Um, it's the same price as a Bose headset. You know, people buy that stuff all the time. It's Those just, headsets are $350. Yeah. The wireless one. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, but it's a life changer on a long flight. Okay. Um, so anyway, we'll see. Uh, we'll learn more about the HomePod as time goes on because Apple will certainly tell us more. Uh-huh. Um, no one has a review unit or anything like that. It's way too early. No one's gotten to play with the software. We still don't know what it all does. I don't think there's going to be any third-party apps for it right now. But Apple is doing this whole home uh, new thing called AirPlay 2, which basically will let any other app play to this thing called HomeKit, which is basically how you're going to be able to play to the HomePod. So mm -hmm. not quite sure how that's going to shake out, but when are they going to, so they're never going to make a screen. So we have an Apple, a TV, a TV. I don't think so. I think they made a speaker Bye. instead. Yeah. <laughs> guess that's the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Was that our first episode? Yes. Yeah. And why are TV so ugly? Yeah. All right. If you've been listening for the last 40 or so episodes over the last five years. We appreciate your support. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, that was, I think, our longest show ever. So we'll we'll uh, hit pause on that. Um, but we'll be back. We have, we, we'll have to talk about Apple Watch bands at some point. Um, and uh, Denmark shopping. Yeah. All kinds of fun let's, stuff. Let's do it after our trip. Or maybe even before. Um, cool. Sounds Wonderful. Good. Well, thank you for listening. This has been The Needle and the Mouse. Uh, I'm Dan Fromer here with Lauren Sherman. Hello. You can find us on Twitter at Needle and Mouse. If you want to send us a question to talk about in a future show, you can also email us at hello at the needle and the mouse dot com. We do get that email. 
Uh, if you like the show, subscribe or rate us in iTunes. Supposedly that helps a lot. Uh, you can also listen to the show on SoundCloud. And I think that's it for now. Although we should probably work on our distribution. Someday. Yeah, someday. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And thank you to Alan Lawrence, our good pal in Japan, for this theme music. Thanks, Thanks Al. Al. Bye.